Good Geist. A podcast series on sustainability. Hosted by Damla Özlüer and Steve Connor. Brought to you by the DNS Network. Hello, hello, everyone. You are listening to The Good Guys, the message on sustainability, which is brought to you by the DNS Network, a global network of agencies dedicated to make the world a better place. This is Damlo from Mira Agency Istanbul and... And this is Steve from Creative Concern in Manchester, welcoming you to this podcast series, exploring global sustainability issues, how they're communicated and what creativity can do to make positive change happen. We have got today uh, with us Carly McLachlan, who is the director of the Tyndall Centre in Manchester here in the UK. Uh, and she leads an interdisciplinary team working on policy around climate change, carbon, and she's based at the University of Manchester. Hello, Carly. Hi, thanks for having me. Wonderful. So um, first of all, Carly, just to kick us off, uh, for all our lovely European friends across our network, would you like to introduce yourself and what Tyndall's up to? Uh, Yeah, sure. So yeah, I'm Carly McLaughlin. I'm a professor of climate and energy policy. um, And I lead the the Manchester part of the Tyndall Centre for Climate Change Research So Tyndall is a partnership of four universities in the UK. So our headquarters are at the University of East Anglia in Norwich. And then we also have Manchester, Cardiff and Newcastle. We've been going since 2000, uh, which, you know, you could be pleased about, but you could also say if we'd been a bit more successful, we might have done ourselves out of a job in the last 23 years. But we've been trying uh, to, to develop solutions for climate action, whether that's about reducing emissions or being more resilient and adapting to climate change. And when we started out, it was quite unusual that people, particularly academics, wanted to kind of work with lots of stakeholders and policymakers and really kind of drive that change and have that impact. Now that's you know, a much more common thing, which we're very pleased about, but it's very much central to what we do, that we have all these different disciplines. So we look at problems from different angles, but that also we work really closely with our stakeholders to co-produce projects and solutions to try and have an impact in the real world, kind of live and learn and get on as we're going, rather than sort of do something over here, polish our marble, and then five years later, say what we think needs to happen because the space we're working in needs urgent action so we want to get on and try and do stuff oh my god carly this energy in your voice goes into the work you are doing it is amazing (laughs) i think that might just be being scottish (laughs) oh okay then so for the context and just looking for our play field we are heading towards the cop 29 27 no 978 We're on 28. We are heading towards the COP28. And what is your take on the state of play as we head towards this interesting date? I mean, I think COPs are kind of interesting because, um, you know, they get a lot of criticism for for not doing enough and not moving things forward quickly enough. But I think if you think, gosh, we've got to deal with this global problem, how are we going to get on with building coalitions and action? The first thing you do is probably set up a cop. So actually, it's it's good that that we have that, but it's really keeping up the the pressure on genuine emissions reduction 
and genuinely thinking about all of the justice implications of the climate changes that we're going to have and the solutions that we're going to have. So I think that is going to be a major focus in COP28 and we'll see whether, you know, how, how effective that is. Um, but, you know, we've been talking about this being an emergency and needing to do something about it for a long time now and global emissions continue to rise. So it, we absolutely must um, really drive that action. And one of the things that's that's good about the COPs um, is that there are loads of people just trying to get on and make stuff happen. And the COP is a way to to bring them together and to sort of share and, and accelerate and scale up and out and things like that. I think increasingly, though, we also have to talk about the people that are trying to slow action and we need to be really direct about that. And there are there are some incumbent interests who don't want us to move as quickly as we need to to avoid the worst impacts of climate change. So, um, you know, it's a it's a challenging space, but we need we need cops and it's trying to make them as good as they possibly can be. And Carly, sorry, I'm just going to jump in, Damlo. The um, it, I'm really torn about whether it's a good thing or a bad thing that COP28 is happening in an oil producing yeah. nation. It's a, it's a really weird one. If you're thinking about transition, is that a good thing? Is it bad? What, you, what do you think about that? I, th- I think it, I suppose I think it could be either. Um, and we'll see how it actually plays out. There's a, there's a real risk that actually this, you know, the, the space is kind of being co-opted by interests that want to slow it. The other side of that would be to say, look at the incredible resources and technical capacity that um, oil producing countries and uh, companies have. And we we absolutely need to be harnessing that kind of resource for the for the transition. Um, so I think I think you could argue it both ways and it will depend how it actually plays out. I suppose the thing that that. You know, academics increasingly have to kind of think about where they sit on this sort of collaborating with fossil fuel extraction firms. And I think I can see why we would collaborate because they're they are also putting funds into the the transition. Um, But I suppose what I don't want is fossil fuel companies to set the sort of rules of the game and Mm. the pace of change because they don't have a good track record on that. So, yes, they should be at the party for sure. But I think this defaulting to them as like they'll give us an honest broker's view of what's possible and over what time scale. I think we should be super critical of that. Yeah, brilliant. Down that back to you. For something else, uh, I would like to add a question to the question line we have. Mm. Uh, yes, they should be at the party. But who is running the party, do you think, Carly? And who should run the party? Because we have a lot of interest groups besides the public institutions and the governments and the activists all around. But it seems like, and of course, there will be a lot of debate about how to move forward, but the urgency in our hands just makes us a little bit paralyzed. Is that right? Who do you think runs the party at the moment and how can it change? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think we're in the process of of changing it. I think that people um, all all over the place, and I'll probably come on to talk about this later, are kind of using their own zone of influence and trying to stretch that and connect it up with other people, whatever that is, you know, whether that's in your own organisation, uh, in your community, uh, whether, you know, if you're, a, if you're a policymaker trying to drive this sort of stuff forward. Um, and I think the, t- the time where I feel most optimistic about climate action is where you see people who are just kind of battling on and sort of proceeding until challenged. You know, they're just trying to get on and make it and make it happen. And we kind of need, um, you know, 
Antonio Guterres was talking about, you know, everything, everywhere, all at once. That that is what we need. So wherever you feel you can make a difference, that's where where you need to be and trying to accelerate that difference. So sorry if that's a slightly evasive answer, but I think I, I think that's the way that we maybe the only way that we that we can do this rather than waiting for a sort of really linear like these important and powerful people will make the right decision. Like we need to try and create the conditions around them where it becomes obvious to them that that is the decision they have to make. That's what we're all demanding and expecting. But in the meantime, we've got on with it. Like you saw it in America when you had administrations that slowed action on climate change. Cities really stepped into that void to take more action. And I think you see that all over the place where there's a bit of a void of leadership it actually makes people around that sort of step up and say, right, well, what are we going to do? So you see it in the UK at the moment with, you know, there being lots of communications from business saying that they're not they're not happy with the recent announcements that have weakened uh, net zero policy and that, you know, they, they are getting on with and planning for this and delivering it. And that's what they expect the government to support them in doing. Well, Steve, I think Carly just gave us our headline, everything, everywhere, all at once, right? She certainly did. It also made me feel a lot better as well, because Carly, your comment earlier about, you know, how long you've worked on on climate, and surely you should have done yourself out of business by now. And uh, I often reflect on that, because I've been campaigning on this for 25 years. um, And you suddenly think, why haven't we fixed it yet? But the idea that we are all different actors working at different speeds, but all tackling it from different angles. Um, makes me feel a little bit better, like I haven't failed yet. <laughs> Thank you, Carly. Anyway, I'm glad, I'm glad that's helped. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So let's take it from here and come up to Tyndall's uh, work at the time. So what are the current threads of work at Tyndall that are particularly interesting or disruptive for you? So there's a lot going on in Tyndall. Um, uh, there's about there's about 200 of us across the centre. Um, so we work on four broad themes of 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 uh, research. So we do things around accelerating social transitions. That should really be called socio-technical because it's that mix of, you know, there's these technological solutions, but what are you know what are the social conditions for them to work well and to do so in a kind of um, in a way that supports supports a just transition. Um, we've got stuff around um, getting getting emissions down to zero um, or net zero. Um, and so that's around kind of pathways for different sectors, uh, but also around a kind of critical analysis of what we're doing around negative emissions. So when we're getting to that net part, how are different organisations or countries thinking about that? And, you know, what is the reality of how much negative emissions we are relying on in the way that we are thinking about tackling climate change. And, you know, spoiler alert, generally we're relying on it too much and we're not thinking enough about getting to the zero emissions part of it without without the net. Um, another theme of our work is uh, around overcoming poverty through climate action. So making sure that you do interventions that actually improve people's lives and don't exacerbate existing problems and inequalities. Uh, and the fourth one is about building up resilience. So thinking about the fact we've already got some level of climate change, we're already locked into more of it. Our infrastructure and systems are also changing as they become uh, zero carbon or net zero. And so this poses new challenges, particularly around things like the electricity grid, which will be markedly different, but also operating in a different kind of set of conditions like climate conditions. So we work across all those things. Um, a project that I that, that I work on that I think is um, kind of, 
cool and interesting at the moment is that we're working with Greater Manchester Combined Authority. So that's the 10 local authorities of Greater Manchester all um, under like coming together to collaborate and having a having a mayor. Um, we have built with them a carbon and co-benefits tool that gets applied to all of their sort of key decisions. And it's just to try and help colleagues in the authority think when you're doing something in your area where you might be really focused on like health aspects or really focused on um, skills to try and get people looking more broadly at the kind of the, the, the climate mitigation elements of that, how you could reduce emissions, how you could make it more resilient but also trying to get everybody to link up across all these areas. So you might will have questions in there about health and about mobility and about connectivity, about jobs, um, to try and sort of broaden people's thinking into being a bit more systemic. So that's been a lot of fun because we've built it with them and trialled it with them. It's absolutely not a silver bullet that solves everything, but I suppose what it does is it helps us uncover where there are other sort of sticking points and problems, and then the next bit of the project is looking at those um, so I find that really rewarding because it's, you know, real decisions that are affecting the 2.8 million people that live in Greater Manchester. And that's where I live. So it feels like a nice connection to my own place. Thanks, Carly. And just one quick one follow up on that before we, uh, I want to talk about music in a minute. But um, the looking at net zero and what net zero means and negative emissions uh, and all of that, I, I sometimes struggle with people that think that absolute zero emissions is is the only goal we can go to and you get people who argue quite vociferously that even saying net zero is somehow <laughs> letting us all down and then and then you have to explain that you know for us being humans on this planet is there can there be such a thing as absolute zero what what do you feel about the sort of misunderstandings around what net means yeah so i think it's become um pervasive hasn't it as a term and it's it's become a bit like uh a bit like sustainability that it means it means kind of everything and therefore sort of nothing until you say what you actually mean underneath it but it gives us all a kind of language of saying like I'm roughly in this space and this is what I'm talking about and we can kind of find each other uh by saying I work on net zero I work on sustainability I, th- I think what's what's challenging is that it has been interpreted that net zero part, which you know we should remind ourselves is super recent. Like that, we haven't mm. been talking about that for the last twenty five mm. years. Like it's probably the last five, um, and now it's everywhere. Um, and what it has allowed is, or maybe facilitated, encouraged is particularly organisations to say, like, right, well, we need to get on board with this net zero thing, you know, and it comes from, like, maybe a good place, but it's like, well, we need to be net zero. Like, that's the goal, so let's be net zero, like, now. And if you're net zero, like, on Tuesday, um, it would imply to me that you have not done the hard yards of system transformation to really get down to very, very low emissions before getting any net part, any offsets or negative emissions. And so, you know, it just if you just think about it logically, if everybody can be net zero by Tuesday by buying enough offsets, then this is a much simpler problem than we seem to be presenting it as, doesn't it? Like, why why is everyone getting themselves in such a twist about it? So I think that's the sort of stuff that worries me about it, that people mm. really just kind of rush to an offset solution. Businesses that want to call themselves, you know, like say like we're a 
you know, this is a net zero coffee that you're having and things like that. Um, I understand why people want to do it, but I want to hear more about what they're doing to to keep on reducing and improving their impacts in the world rather than getting to this kind of final state of, right, we're carbon neutral now, so that's 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 kind of fine. But you're totally right that absolute zero, if you want to call it that, um, isn't possible across the whole system in, uh, you know, across the globe particularly in the food system. Mm. Um, However, there are certain parts of the system that can be zero or very, very close to zero. And we need to be a bit more discerning about what it is we're talking about in those different areas. Because if we have limited negative emissions opportunities because they they take up land and they're extremely expensive, um, then actually we need to use those for the things that we really can't get the carbon out of and that are really important to us. And if you're starting to throw them around for kind of everything because you just didn't get around to decarbonizing your energy system, your electricity system, um, that's problematic because we won't have enough of those. Um, Also, if they don't work for some reason in the future, you know, if you if you do it through tree planting, for example, and then there's massive wildfires, you've made the situation much worse. Um, So we need to limit our exposure to that risk by really just doing it for things that we absolutely have no other way of of getting the carbon out of. Brilliant. Absolutely. Okay, right. Carly, can we move on to something I find quite fascinating, um, which is the work that you've been doing on music uh, and with a a tiny, insignificant band called Massive Attack. Um, So so tell us about your work on music because it's fascinating. Uh, Yeah, so I mean, this has been this has been a lot of fun um, and was um, a bit of a surprise. So they they got in touch with us and said they wanted to do some work around looking at their own tour emissions, but also seeing and this is where I come back to this idea of you kind of using your zone of influence, but trying to stretch it. um, They wanted to look at whether they could do something that would help activate transformation, decarbonisation more widely in the sector. So we, um, along with colleagues Chris Jones and Sarah Mander at Tyndall, um, we developed a super low carbon live music roadmap um, where we took different sort of, you know, areas of what it is to make a tour up and say, like, look, what could you do in each of these to decarbonise it? And try to kind of ratchet up the, the commitments people should be making in those spaces if they really want to sort of say that they are the the kind of leading edge or you know operating in line with the Paris climate change agreement um and it's been you know again with all these bits of work like there's other people working in this space other people doing things that are kind of similar we're part of like a bit of a network in that in that sector now that we'd never worked in before uh where there's lots of people trying to pull in that direction and see where they can unlock these these changes for live music I just wanted to pin this work and elevate to bird's eye for a wider perspective and ask Kali, how can culture play a role in the climate crisis action? Well, I think like, so we talk about that a lot because obviously music has a kind of really special place for people and, you know, I'm the wider cultural sector. I suppose, you know, maybe you'd expect me to say this as a, you know, as more of a kind of, I mean, I'm a social scientist by training, but like a kind of technical carbon person, if you like, rather than a than a proper culture person that's working in that sector. I think it's really important that people have the sort of authenticity to go out and speak about these issues because they are doing it themselves. I think it really helps their platform if they can say, we are doing all of these things and we're really worried about it. We want other people, whether that's governments or members of the public, whatever it is that their their sort of call to action is. 
it, it's difficult if you're doing that from a position of not having done it all yourself. The other the other side of it is that it it's a sort of sector you think, oh gosh, how would you decarbonize that? Like, well, it feels pretty intensive and um, you know, there's there's a lot of pressure to make it work. There's no there's no room for it to go wrong. Everything has to be kind of all right on the night. Um, and so that means that um Actually, if you can show it happening there in a place where people maybe think that it's really difficult uh, to do it, then that kind of maybe unlocks a bit of imagination and optimism in other in other places. One of the things that's been really cool about working with Massive Attack is that they they had already switched to trying to use the train to move about on their on their tours. So, you know, if they're touring around um, mainland Europe, then actually they'll go they'll go on the train to do that. And as an academic coming in and saying to other people, it'd be really good if you could use the train. I think it's easy for people to be a bit like, you don't understand the sector. Like, that's just completely impossible. But actually, if you can say, look, these people are actually doing it and it's worked really well. And their tour manager likes it and has taken it to, you know, with other partners as well. And they've and they've gone and done it. So I think it's quite it's quite a disarming space to make to make changes in, because if you can do it there, then, you know, potentially you can roll that out and do it, do it elsewhere. One one sort of last thing on that that I always take from a woman called Faye Milton, who's in Music Declares Emergency. I heard her talk once about the idea that the artist is a bit like your friend. Um, you know, like it's like a friend talking to you when you're when you're connecting with an artist, whether that's through what they say in a gig or through their Instagram and things like that. And so they're a really trusted voice. And actually, that's quite a special place to be having conversations about climate and about, you know, the the world. Thanks, Carly. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's we won't get distracted by um, the flights thing because people haven't saying they have to fly. There's no alternative. I think I mean, there's a few academics do that, aren't there? Um, but um, I want to take us on a few to, that don't as well, though, Steve. I know. I know. I'm just kidding. Carly. Um, and but and some of your colleagues are very good at making sure they go by land, as we know. But the um, the this podcast is brought to but but by the sort of DNS network of, of communications agencies. And so I just wanted to ask you quickly about any thoughts you have on the, the communications challenge of sustainability. What's your thoughts on that? So I think I would probably loop it back to some of the things I've talked about that, you know, I think that thing around breaking it down more than net, than just net zero or carbon neutrality, but about the stories about what you are doing and how mm. that's having a positive impact in your communities or dispersed communities, um, to make it to make it more kind of real for people. You know, you you guys are the ones that know how to do that in an engaging and creative way. I know that it's like snappy to say carbon neutral, but actually, if if you're carbon neutral but haven't gone through the hard yards of really transforming your business and thinking about how you can genuinely be a sustainable business, then you know you've sort of missed out the the important part of it. So I think. Where we can tell those those stories better is really important. And then the other thing, I suppose, is around, you know, the potential engagement and empowerment of people it, in the UK. You know, we've just had these announcements around um, the 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 watering down of some net zero policy. And one of the things that was said that I think is actually probably right is that there's not been enough public debate and discussion um, around net zero. But of course, what's happened is that rather than having that public debate and discussion, they've just changed some of the policies. So, we, so we're still in a position where we've not had that discussion. And actually thinking about, um, you know, creating spaces for people to talk about and develop solutions that work for them, 
um, and that they can see benefiting their communities and aligning with what they're what they're interested in is is really important. And people will have to be want to be part of this transformation. Um, and there's a real risk at the moment of this fracturing and kind of um, it becoming part of a broader sort of culture war. So, you know, if your uh, listeners could sort all of that out, that would be really super. <laughs> Great. So one final question. Our network is ironically called Do Not Smile because we need to make sustainability a subject that brings happiness into the world. What object, place or person always make you smile? <laughs> this is a great question. You didn't warn me about this. Oh, gosh. It, does it have to be related to climate things or can it just be in in my Anything. life? Anything. Anything at all. Um. Okay, so this is very dorky, um, but I am a golfer, and that is a very small Venn diagram area um, of environmental researcher and golfer. We could do a whole other show about uh, the environmental impacts of golf. Um, but I suppose one thing that always makes me smile is going back to this really beautiful seaside landscape of playing of playing golf on a Scottish links course, and I find that that you know, disengages me from all the other stresses of life and is like a beautiful space to be in with a kind of long heritage, which I enjoy. And I would really love golf and golfing to be part of the transformation. Um, and there are lots of people working on that in the sector on a sort of sustainable golf agenda. Amazing. Well, Carly, I'm I'm just, I, I we could carry on. I'd like to carry on. I'd like to do culture war, golfing, co-benefits, leadership challenges, all of that. <laughs> But we're going to have to wrap it up. Um, Thanks very much for having me. It's been fun. (laughs) No, it's been brilliant. Damla, over to you. Well, so thanks to everyone who has listened to our Good Guys podcast, brought to you by the Do Not Smile DNS network of agencies. And make sure you listen to future episodes where we will be taking more amazing people about how we can work together to create a more sustainable future. So thank you very much, Carly. And see you, Steve. See you, Damla. Take care. Good Geist. A podcast series on sustainability. Hosted by Damla Özluer and Steve Connor. Brought to you by the DNS Network.